Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Here we go. Tense up. Oh, wait. How do I say your last name? Excite you, Bob. This is Penn Sunday School. Were you startled, Matt? I was more haunted. Here we go. Brothers, sisters, siblings, welcome to Penn Sunday School. I'm Matt Donnelly. We're broadcasting from Show Creator Studio South here in Las Vegas. And today, we have a very special guest. We have the professor of genetics from Columbia University. Joe Tewilliger is here. And he's not a geneticist. Probably the first thing we'll clarify is the difference between the two. Here he is, <laughs> preaching the love, Pendulum. I'm here preaching the love, and I want to talk a little bit, before we get to Joe, I want to talk a little bit about how, uh, I guess this term is no longer used, this term is no longer correct, this term is offensive. But I want to talk about how badly pussy whipped someone can be. Imagine <laughs> this. Imagine you have a girlfriend, Okay. A girlfriend in 1972. You have a girlfriend. You got this, Matt? Yep. 1972, you've got a girlfriend. Yeah. You break up in 1973. Okay? Yeah. Oh, that's good. She's that out sense. of your life. Out of your life. And then it is 2023. 50 years later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> 50 years later. She writes an email and says, you know, on your podcast, you should have this guy, Joe, on. I know him. <laughs> and you do it. How is that possible? <laughs> How is that possible that 50 years, okay, yeah. okay, no physical contact with her in 50 years, five, zero, half a century. Oh, put Joe on the show. Okay. I think he'd be good. Okay. What's he do? Uh, place tuba, North Korea, genetics. You can do something with that. <laughs> okay, good. So then you're in touch with me. And a miracle happened, Matt Donnelly, a miracle. I recognize, you know, I have a very bad um, visual memory, terrible visual memory, um, uh, way down in the, um, you know, the IQ of the visual representation for me is like below 60. I'm terrible. So I think maybe it's because of facial hair and other stuff. Perhaps the only person I've ever recognized in our audience from a picture. Really? Yeah, I saw his picture on Wikipedia. He was in the audience. Not even, this is the important thing, Matt, not even in the VIP seats. Because Joe was super mensch and decided he'd just buy a ticket to the show, even though he's on the show today. So I saw him, I saw him in the audience. I want to start with this so we don't, we don't, now you're, you're Columbia University. Yes. And you teach genetics. Uh, research, yeah. I don't do a lot of teaching there, but I do teaching in other parts of the world. Were you a teacher for a long time or? 
Um, well, you know, I, I started doing research. I, I, initially, I was a, a tuba player. I, I, st I studied tuba in university. You started tuba and then went to genetics. Yeah, I wanted to go to. I wanted to go gateway to drug. Well, I wanted to go to New York so that I could pursue a music career. And I figured I either had to work at McDonald's or I had to find some other way to pay the bills. And I found that they actually pay you to go to school in genetics. So I was like, wait, they're going to give me ten thousand dollars a year, a place to live, and all I got to do is study. Awesome. You know, and I thought that was a perfect scam. And I, all I did was play tuba and try to get a job, even though I was taking a, a PhD program in genetics. And I didn't even understand the names of my classes. So it was just sort of like, I figured, it, I figured after a while, they'd catch on and figure I didn't know anything, but they still haven't. So, you know, I still have a job. <laughs> <laughs> how many, how many closet tuba players are in the genetics world? Um, probably more than you'd think, I guess. I don't know. Um, but, uh, and you, where are you from originally? I'm from upstate New York, uh, in the, in the Catskill mountains, you know, middle of nowhere. And you, uh, and you, uh, play, took up tuba there in the, like the high school band or something? Yeah, when I was a kid, they gave it to me because I was the only one big enough to carry it, mm -hmm. <laughs> and um, it just sort of fit. I liked it. And it's now, are you talking? Uh, you're talking tuba in New Orleans sense. You're talking tuba in the uh, strict sense. Mostly classical, I do most. Okay, but so, I, I've done jazz so, like so in high school. So you're not jazz, talking. But. You're not talking sousaphone. No, no, no. I'm talking like because you know in in New Orleans, yeah, uh, tuba is a sousaphone. Yeah, yeah, of course. They, of they course. just they use the terms interchangeable. You don't know. It's basically the same thing. It's just coiled differently. Right. Yeah. But you uh, you like your, your proper tube. But you still play? All the time. I mean, it's about 15% of my income. Oh, really? Yeah, so I freelance in New York, different orchestras. So you're, uh, you, are you first call tuba player? That depends on what, what gig it is. But I have a couple orchestras I play with regularly, and I have like three or four brass groups. So. And in um, in uh, in the uh, the repertoire of a yeah. normal, uh, normal symphony or something, uh, I know that for... Um, uh, bassoon it's the beginning of um the rite of spring sure <laughs> when the bassoon plays out of its range mm -hmm. and bassoon is a very easy instrument you get paid very well you rarely have anything besides quarter notes and as long as your orchestra does not de decide to play the rite of spring you get a job for life <laughs> uh what's what's the uh, what's the motherfucker on tuba I mean, there's a lot of them um, in, in the orchestral literature, but um, these days, a lot of what I do in practice is uh, we do our own arrangements. Transcriptions are different. Mm -hmm. I have a group called Film Harmonic Brass, and we do all transcriptions of film music, like wow. John Williams and other things, where we don't try to play chord notes, where the tuba has to do all the 30-second notes and all the you know the wow. orchestral parts. That's more fun. That's what, what I enjoy doing. Yeah. Now... There's always a gag. It's a standard gag that I know you're you're uh, very aware of, that every circus band, I mean, not anymore, yeah. but every circus band in the mid-20th century, uh, to probably a little earlier, they would always do Stars and Stripes Forever, mm -hmm. and they would always have the piccolo solo played on tuba. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm sure you have that nailed. Of course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that your go-to, I play tuba now? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I don't know about that. <laughs> but, um, you know, yeah, I mean, we've all done that, obviously, many times. because uh... It sounds so funny <laughs> and so wonderful and always get to show off. Yeah, exactly. Because people assume that we're just musical midgets who flunked out of trombone school. But, you know, we can actually do stuff, you know. It's, oh, yeah. there it is, musical snobbery. I love <laughs> it. <laughs> I, I remember once I went to a wedding of a friend, and um, I'd, I'd studied Korean language at the time, and it was uh, she was a piano major, and she hadn't seen me for a couple of years, so I did this after that. And she goes to me, and I spoke to her in Korean. She goes, wait, you're supposed to be stupid. You're a tuba major. 
Exactly. <laughs> and, you know, I'm used to that. And I, I, I like playoff. It. It's good because I'm self-deprecating anyway, so it works. You know, it fits. Yeah. <laughs> I remember when uh, Springsteen toured with a Seeger Sessions band. He put that band together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so we took a bunch of those, those kind of... Uh, brass cats and tell them how to like walk the apron of the stage like a rock and roller so we bring the band forward and bring them all along the apron as part of the show and he just laugh at the tuba player and be like he's wearing a washing machine <laughs> <laughs> well there was it was, it was wasn't it howard johnson oh yeah 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 he was amazing howard was johnson Saturday Night Live band director yeah and i also when they played and i was so fucking angry spinal tap mm-hmm. uh did big bottom right in uh in new york at the beacon and I was in New York at the time, and they wanted every bass player possible right. to play Big Bottom. So uh, uh, I just, uh, Will Lee mm-hmm. of the uh, of the Letterman Band and everybody. I mean, I think it was even like Jack Bruce mm-hmm. was in town. They had everybody who played bass, plus Howard Johnson. Right. And uh, I was so excited to do that. And then I had a, I believe I had a Broadway show that night and couldn't be there. But I would have loved to been on that stage with Howard Johnson. Yeah, no, Howard's amazing. It's too bad he passed away. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I became aware of him on a, um, on a record by John Simon, mm-hmm. who produced uh, everything. Mm-hmm. Produced Simon and Garfunkel. Produced uh, Dylan, uh, uh, Janis Joplin, the band. Most famously, I guess, the band and um, and Leonard Cohen. But he did records on his own. Mm-hmm. One called Journey, mm-hmm. which is not a well-known record. One of my favorite records of all time, and it's uh, it's it's kind of a roots rock and roll record with huge amount of real no kidding jazz, mm. and he has Howard Johnson on there doing solos and playing his ass off. Mm. It's really really great. And my friend David Silverman, who was uh, one of the creators of The Simpsons, mm-hmm. so if he asks you to borrow money, just tell him no. You've got enough, Dave. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> But David Silverman, besides being the one who drew the characters of The Simpsons, mm-hmm. couple, couple, two, three dollars in that, he is also a uh, tuba player oh. and plays jazz around L.A. and trying to get himself to be a sessions player. Um, although he's he's in the position of dilettante like <laughs> me, you know, because I I was a magician first, then learned bass. You sounded great, by the oh, way. Oh, thank you, thank you so much. And uh, and uh, but David Silverman, you know, when you create the Simpsons, you can't say, "Oh, my main thing is tuba." Mm-hmm. So he every year, <laughs> you can see David Silverman at Burning Man, mm-hmm. and he has this uh, sousaphone with a propane tank on his back, <laughs> and he walks around naked. Good-looking fella, real good-looking fella, walks around naked playing his sousaphone, and the bell of the sousaphone has got fire. There's a whole ring of fire around there that he lights up. So he's playing a burning, in New Orleans terms, a burning tuba. Mm, Cool, cool, cool. (laughs) Yeah, I had to do one thing for... um, one of the shows we did, I think, I think Tell a Lie or something. We were working on that, weren't you, man? And did I do one thing playing the tuba? I'm trying to remember now because we had a we had a gag about the di- didgeridoo. Yes, and I was saying circular you know, breathing. Yeah, circular breathing. Why don't just play a tuba? Yeah, and it was um, really satisfying to get a nice sound out of it. Mm, mm. It's satisfying. Is it nice the tuba sound. that they they, they used to, to, to uh, uh, mess with that Ku Klux Klan rally where they yeah, played the, yeah, yeah, the yeah, elephant yeah, walk? Yeah. <laughs> Do you know about this? No. So like they they had this clan rally in the town, and rather than counter protest, a guy just uh, band just went down with the tubas and they played. 
while people in clan hoods are walking down the street. It's one of the greatest counter protests I've ever seen. Tuba has a so you, you how, what percentage of your income is tuba? About fifteen. Wow, that's yeah. pretty great. It's it's well, I still identify as a tuba player, even if I'm a geneticist. And you're in to make my living. And you're in New York. Yeah, New York. It's the only place in the world you can really do that and yeah. have the opportunities. Yeah. yeah. There was a, a great story of a saxophone player. Do you know the story? Saxophone player who, um, in the late fifties, hired like a large number, like twenty five upright bass players hired them for a session in new york city and then got a a hotel room (laughs) looking over times square and watched 25 people try to navigate their bases (laughs) he was not popular (laughs) and and there was no gig right that was just no it's a joke yeah yeah yeah. just to see yeah I mean, we played a we played tuba octets sometimes, and when you have eight tubas trying to leave and get on the subway together, it's it's an adventure. <laughs> now, um, what always amazes me is uh, is violins, all your string instruments, uh, all this talk about the instrument, mm-hmm. and when you get to brass instruments, kind of nobody gives a fuck, right? Uh, I, I, that's not true. I mean, I mean, do you, if you ever hear trumpet do you brag, players, do you brag on your tuba. I mean, trumpet players all just constantly talk about their equipment because they want an excuse. <laughs> so he's blaming the equipment. Get a new mouthpiece. Get a new mouthpiece, and it's so it's a lot of that. For me, I still use the same tuba I bought when I was fifteen. And what's a tuba go for? Uh, well, it's always the price of a car. So back in nineteen oh, seventies, really? I paid four thousand dollars. Mm-hmm. And you know the only way to raise four thousand dollars in upstate New York in the seventies was to kill a lot of raccoons and <laughs> squeeze the juice out of a lot of skunks. <laughs> is, a, is, a, is skunk skunk stink worth something? Yeah, it used to be back in the in the seventies and the eighties. Right? Yeah, for perfume. Yeah. yeah. So and I that I top note thing. Yeah. <laughs> that top note thing. So you used animal traps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think I could do it today. I, I, you know, when you grow up in the mountains, it's like you grow up, there's hunting and trapping and all that. And there's almost no other legal way a kid can make any money. You know, my family didn't have any money. You know, my dad worked at the prison and my mom was a teacher. Your and, dad worked at prison? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, my dad was a jail guard too. Oh, cool. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I had to, I had to uh, save up for my drum set. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, doing. Do, I was doing juggling, <laughs> get a drum set, um, and uh, yeah, work dishwasher to hospital stuff. Yeah, like that. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep. And uh, yeah, we do we do we do a bit in our show. We haven't done it in a long time. Called Animal Traps, mm-hmm. King of Animal Traps, where we have all the different animal traps on stage. Okay. and do a routine with those. They are so such horrific oh, machines. I know. I know such I know. horrific machines. And we bought a bear trap. From a guy for the punchline, mm-hmm. we bought an actual used bear trap, and I've I've never forgotten this. Mm-hmm. Um, it haunts me like you know, like being in India when they had the when they had the bears. Mm. Oof! He talked about having heard the sound, then come upon a bear in a bear trap, mm. and he said it was just there with its foot hooked, just going ah, mm. and hearing him describe it. Um, it, it's haunted me ever since. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It must be horrible to get an animal in, a, in an animal trap. No, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, when I was a kid, it was just sort of a means to what an end. Did, yeah, but I couldn't do it today. How does one squeeze the gland on a skunk <laughs> without being covered with skunkdom? 
Well, this was the thing. It's like, I don't have a very strong sense of smell. Mm-hmm. So to me, skunk kind of smells like flowers. It's like a very, because it's, it's a very strong thing, but it's not yeah. such a tell negative us, thing. Tell us what you think the word skunk means. Because, <laughs> um, you know, you have to check that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Because maybe you think skunk is like roses or something. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Teller and I stay at the um, uh, Sunset Marquee in L.A. Okay. It's kind of a rock and roll hotel. And finally, finally one day, uh, Teller and I are not very... Um, conversant in drugs mm-hmm. and all. Neither one of us even drink alcohol. So we don't know anything about it. I said to somebody there, you know, this is such a nice hotel, fancy hotel, because we're in LA and it's still kind of rural and I always smell a little bit of the skunk smell. There must be skunks around here. And they said, that's marijuana, you idiot. <laughs> and I said, oh, they call it skunk weed, right? <laughs> he said, yeah, it's the same smell. And I said to Teller, you know that skunk smell? He said, yeah, because it's kind of rural. There's woods. I said, no, it's it's." Dark. Of course, then when someone just learns something, never are they more condescending to the person who doesn't know it. <laughs> no, <laughs> Teller, you idiot, that's the smell of marijuana. Now it's the smell of New York City, which uh, yeah. I, it's not my thing. I, I've never used any yeah. kind of drug either. It's just not my thing at all. <laughs> So you identified the tuba players also geneticists. Yeah. And what kind of genetics are you uh, experimenting in? Okay, so so I'm I'm a statistician by training in, in in genetics. So most of what I do is I I go around to unusual parts of the world looking for populations interesting to study. So the problem is like in New York City, we're all different for tons of reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with our traits. They're because of our history. Because you know when you come from a different place, your genes are going to be obviously very different from each other's. Mm-hmm. And again, we're all 99.9 odd percent the same, but it's that part where we're different that's where all the action is. That's the only part that's interesting. Of course, we're all the same. We all have a, a spleen and, you know. Did you just point lips. to your neck on spleen? No, I was, I was. Okay, I was, good, good, just, good. No, 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 no. Because, <laughs> you know, you're only here because of a high school girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. be a little bit skeptical. Yeah, and I, I mean, she's taught in my class, so, you know, it's okay. like. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so so I'm always like looking because you can't do experiments on humans. I can't well, look at you and someone from the audience and say, "I'd like 20 kids, please," yeah, and yeah. raise 10 of them in this cage. And yes, yeah. you could. Oh, I could maybe, but ethically, you, you ethically. Might, yeah, oh, you yeah. put that in there. Well, they, that's what they get us for these days. You know, <laughs> everything's about ethics. You know, um, but so what about I Mengele? You know, no, no, no. Open field. Exactly, exactly, exactly. So I always like look for the places where something that you would do an experiment happened by chance because of history. So for example, we had a study, um, I I have a big study now in Venezuela where we're looking at a family of about 8,000 people that live on sticks over the top of the water because the snakes are on land and they'd eat them if they (laughs) they didn't live over the water. And basic- This is Venezuela? In Venezuela, yeah. So- Hey, uh, Matt, want to go to Venezuela? (laughs) No, not me either. Nope. (laughs) No for me. But I mean, it's fascinating because they have everything you could have wrong with you. I mean, in terms of the environment, their drug abuse, violence, all this. Like if you want to kill someone- Snakes? uh, Well, no, the humans, the humans, yeah, yeah, yeah. So if you need to kill someone, you can rent a gun for an hour. And really? Yeah, 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 yeah. And they, they, they're like, you know, and I didn't believe it either until they showed us, you know. My, they took my friend in and she goes, well, okay. They said, what kind of gun do I need? She goes, well, this one will fit your hand. And then they go, do you want a silencer? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, it's, it's, it's not the greatest place in the world. But these people, somehow, if they make it to 40, 
they live to be like 100 and their brains are clear of any of the plaques you get from, you know, from dementia and other things. They don't get a lot of heart disease. They don't get a lot of the other diseases that kill most of us. So it's a fascinating experiment. Isn't that a lot diet? Well, to some extent, but it's also like they also have like intestinal parasites and heavy metals from the oil industry washing up there. And so it's 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 an interesting question. So we've been doing studies of those. I also got into. Have you been there in Snakeville? Yeah, 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 many times. They always tell me I have to leave before uh, before it gets dark, though, because like we gave it we give a town hall presentation there when we first started the project maybe thirty years ago, and they asked us a bunch of questions like what's in it for us. And I said, well, probably nothing, you know, because you're not necessarily going to get any benefit from being studied, but you might, and it's for the good of research and the basic human knowledge. And after that, they said that those people all looked at me and they said, oh, that's a man. We, we trust him because well, he, he nice. didn't bullshit us. He told us the truth. And, and do you speak uh, Venusian? No, I don't speak Spanish. Ah, uh, Spanish. <laughs> but um, but, um, but they, they also said they'd never heard English before. So it was like they're speaking this outer space language. You know, the people are really poor there so, and isolated. It was fascinating, you know. Wow. What kind of snakes? Um, I'm not sure because I never saw them. <laughs> but I mean, they must have told you, watch out for the only snakes. Well, they're, they're apparently the very big ones that will come up, like, you know, like some kind of constrictors or python or something, and, yeah. and like, you just eat them. <laughs> oh, geez. That's, that's, that's not good. That's I why was... it's called Venezuela, by the way, because they live on these sticks over the water. And when Vespucci discovered Venezuela, he said it looked like little Venice. Oh. So it's Venezuela. I didn't know I that. I did not know that. There you go. Okay, that was worth it. Thank you, Ann. Uh, <laughs> the first pleasant thing we've discussed. <laughs> so um, so you're, you're mostly human genetics then? It's all human, what I do, and it's just looking for interesting populations wherever they may be. You start like 10 projects and maybe two or three. And you got that woman that has no pain? Um, is that a genetic thing? And probably, yeah. I mean, there's all sorts of. And weird... there's people in uh, Vermont who don't ever sleep. Uh-huh. There's a whole family that never sleeps. They're always doing studies on. It's my favorite hobby. <laughs> <laughs> so the, your research is not mostly at Columbia, right? Um, I work with partners around the world, and they do most of the work. We teach them, so I try to work with them to try to because I'm a statistician, so I help them set up the project see what would be a good study, how would I do it? And then I help them analyze the data and teach them how to do it basically so that they can go do it on their own in the future. And, you know, it's it's kind of like, in a way, I work in all these places where, I, I, all the places I work are places where the American government doesn't get along with people very well because that's they're isolated for a yeah, reason. You want isolated, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And so in a way, we, 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 we think of it as kind of like science diplomacy. You go there, you build a relationship with people, let them start to see us as normal human beings and realize that we're not trying to kill them. We're just normal people. We, we're friendly. Well, we are trying to kill them. Well, our government is trying to kill them. <laughs> we're not trying to kill them. <laughs> uh, now, Big uh, difference. <laughs> I'm going to tell you a little bit about Masterclass. You know, it's amazing how the stuff that you learn from Masterclass is used in so many ways in your life. I mean, sure, you can learn to cook and make great poached eggs, and you can learn to write and write a better letter. But there's other stuff like there's a whole class with a hostage negotiator who talked about how when you point with your finger, you point, it's a sign of hostility. And you know, I've always kind of felt that, but I never articulated it. So in our show, when I pick people from the audience, when I point to things on the other side of the stage, 
I don't point anymore. I never point. I use my full hand and just gesture in that direction. That's something I learned in a master class that was on a I'm not a hostage negotiator, but I learn stuff. People that take our magic class in master class talk about how much they learn that's appropriate to all of life, that just is 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 used all over. So um ready, what have you been learning lately? Yeah, Thomas Keller, the American chef with the most Michelin stars. He has three classes. We've talked about one of them already. I'm taking the third one right now, which deals a lot with sous vide cooking. Yeah, that's good. See, Ready learns stuff. There are over 180 classes to pick from, everything from learning to direct to learning stand-up comedy. I realize that's not too much of a spread. Let's throw Astronaut in there. New classes added every month. Gordon Ramsay, Malcolm Gladwell, Steve Martin, Chris Voss, Esther Peril, Mariah Carey, many, many, many more. Plus, of course, Penn and Teller. We teach magicking there. Uh, Ready even went to the restaurant, right? You went to the restaurant? Right. I went to see Ringo at the Venetian last weekend. And afterwards, I went to Bouchon. I've been liking his classes so much, I've decided to revisit Haute Cuisine, which I've never really liked. It just seems so silly to me. But his take on it is so much more earnest. I guess I'm going to have to look into it more, maybe figure out how to get out to the French Laundry. So get unlimited access to every class. And right now, as a Penn Sunday School listener, you can get 15% off when you go to masterclass.com slash pen. That's masterclass.com slash pen. For 15% off an annual membership, masterclass.com slash pen. Huge tech companies in America pay next to nothing in taxes, meaning they barely give anything back to the society that made them rich. That may not do a lot of giving, but they sure do a lot of taking. Brothers, sisters, everybody, I'm talking about how these tech companies enrich themselves by taking your personal data. They grab your web history, your email metadata, the video searches to create a detailed profile of you. Then they sell that off to the highest bidder. Companies aren't just selling products anymore. They're selling you. You have become the product. To protect your identity and data from these tech giants, I recommend using ExpressVPN every time you go online. Think about the websites you visit, Facebook, Twitter, Google, everything you do, it's on. It's online. They copy it. Uh, ExpressVPN makes you anonymous online by camouflaging your IP addresses and replaced with a different secure IP of your choice. It encrypts all your data, does everything right. If you're like me and believe your internet belongs to you and not to greedy corporations, then ExpressVPN is the answer. Protect your data with the number one rated VPN provider today. Visit ExpressVPN vpn.com slash pen to get three months free on a one-year package. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S vpn.com slash pen. ExpressVPN.com slash pen to learn more. You'll like it. Don't you love an extra $100 in your pocket? Have a TurboTax expert file your taxes for you by March 31st to get $100 back instantly. Because no matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax makes them count. That means getting $100 back and 100% accurate taxes only from Intuit TurboTax. Must file by 331. Credit only applicable to federal filing fees with TurboTax full service. Offer can be modified or terminated at any time. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Now, now, we have two things, two uh-huh. people in common. Uh-huh. We have Ann Buchanan and we have Dennis Rodman. Yes. Uh, two people with different dispositions. I think we, we can agree A little on bit, that. yeah. A little bit. Dress, <laughs> dress similarly. Yeah. <laughs> I did two tours of duty of Celebrity Apprentice mm-hmm. with, um, with, uh, with Dennis Rodman. And then he went over to Korea. Yep. In the weirdest fucking thing in the world of all the people to go to North Korea, why would it be Dennis Rodman? Mm-hmm. Now, I was there scratching my head, and meanwhile, you were going to Korea with Dennis Rodman. Well, actually, the the day I met Dennis Rodman, I talked to you. Uh-huh. Um, because Ann suggested that. It was, the, it was the day of the finale of Celebrity Apprentice. Okay. And um, I, I basically won a charity auction to play horse with Dennis Rodman. Uh-huh. And so he comes in in Basketball City, New York that day, right before your show. And he's just like, uh, kind of hung over and everything. Um, and I basically just talked to his agent about North Korea because I was going to spend the summer there teaching at the university because I, I, I used to go there every year. Now, for- you can teach in North Korea? Uh, we could until Trump put in a travel ban on Americans going there. Now, because... I just want to tell you, Joe, um, the amount that Matt and I together know about North Korea, uh, we're done. That's all we do. (laughs) So you you would go and how did you end up speaking Korean? Well, when I was in uh, when I was an undergrad, I was in music school. Half the students were Chinese, so I studied Chinese. And then I went to Columbia and found out they didn't really teach Chinese, so they taught Korean. And so I said, "Well, I'll study Korean then. Why not? It's uh, similar. It's not similar at all, but it seemed similar at the time." Well, you know, see, the thing is that I I never learned a language. Uh-huh. I didn't start studying a language until I was sixty five. Mm-hmm. And I always felt bad that I didn't know a language, mm-hmm. so I wanted to learn one. And my choice, mm-hmm. my first choice was, oh, I thought that would be a great language to learn. And then I found out during research that um, nobody not born into oh, has ever learned to speak it. Mm-hmm. Nobody. Mm-hmm. So I thought, well, that's a little bit ambitious. <laughs> so then I read this book, What Language to Learn, mm-hmm. and it said, you know, literature, to speak to the most number of people that can't speak to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a whole list of things, which I checked it out and filled it out in this, I mean, this arbitrary book, but the guy seemed to know what he was talking about, and thought Arabic, because mm-hmm. I also get to be on the one watch list I'm not on. <laughs> and I thought that'd be a great thing. And then I looked at the CIA thing, and it's a level five language. Right. It's a level five language, Arabic. And I think it was Anne who, who said to me, um, Ben, you're, you're, you're not smart. You're not good at languages. So you're not going to learn a number five language. You'll never, you'll never feel good about it like in your lifetime. So I went down to a number two language, mm-hmm. which is shit and <laughs> learned, um, learned Spanish. Mm-hmm. And it also has the, the added plus of all the good magicians in the world are Spanish. Well, there you go. <laughs> and that made it really nice. I, I, and that's really almost, almost no exaggeration of that. The best magicians are all Spanish. Mm. Um, now, so you learn Korean to get along with the other uh, classical 
No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not, not a, well, a, a Chinese I, I learned first uh, in, in college. And that was just because I was basically living in China. <laughs> and when I found out, I had a roommate who was Chinese who was always talking about me behind my back while I was sitting there. And I said, no, no, I'm breaking your damn code. And so I studied it without telling anyone. And like after I studied it for a couple of years, I, I was actually starting to understand everything they said. And one day when they insulted me, I just responded in perfect Chinese. And they're just like, <gasps> Beautiful, worth every every. So the, it was about two years for you to feel comfortable in Chinese. Yeah, because Chinese is actually the easiest language to speak that I ever tried because there's no grammar. It's like I go school yesterday, I go school tomorrow, I go but school. I've, but on the list, yeah. uh, Mandarin and Cantonese are up pretty high. They're I know because that, it's hard to read. You have to learn all the characters. But I mean, in terms of speaking, the logic is like English, and there's no tense, there's no gender, oh, really? there's no. Nothing, just a verb is just a word because there's no way to put grammar in, in those characters because the right. characters each mean something. That's why Japanese has all that extra stuff that they had. They had their own alphabet to add mm -hmm. to write the grammar. I did a TV show where uh, I was playing the shrink. Okay. And I had to do one line in Mandarin Chinese because mm -hmm. the gag was I was an asshole couples counselor. <laughs> right, right, right. And when the couple walked in, I spoke. Chinese. Okay. And then I would say, so you don't understand that because communication is all that matters in a marriage. So sit down and now we'll talk English. And um, the writers, I'm very proud of this. The writers wrote the scene and then said, um, uh, we wanted to cast Adam Carolla. Mm -hmm. And they said, Adam won't learn two sentences in Chinese. <laughs> He's just too fucking lazy. And they said, who do we call? And they said, call Penn, because he, he'll learn it no matter what. So I got a guy in, and I found with the, uh, the pitch-based stuff, mm -hmm. I found that uh, really two medium-sized sentences in Chinese were so fucking hard. But I'm, I'm surprised because you like, – what I noticed when I was listening to you play bass is that you have very good ear. You have good pitch. No. Your intonation too. was good. That's all work. Okay. That was nothing, but, but nothing But you still natural. have to hear it. You have to hear nothing. the pitch. No. No, you no? can develop it. Because okay. I, was, I, was, I was almost considered tone deaf and still working. Ah. I worked on it. And uh, also on my entire memory seems to work based on conceptual. Okay. If I understand something, but I can't bring sounds to mind mm -hmm. and I can't bring pictures to mind. I can't close my eyes and see my mother. Oh, okay. Yeah. And when we're done with this yeah. thing, I've now talked about you wearing glasses. The second I'm saying you wear glasses. But if I hadn't said that and you left here yeah. and Matt said, does he wear glasses? No idea. Right, right, right. It's only the stuff that I've articulated. Right. So I d did not have a leg up. I did not okay. have. I did not have talent in this. But you have and a work ethic. That's one, one of the reasons I want to learn it. Yeah. It's really. It's one of the reasons I study art a lot because I know my mm -hmm. visual stuff is really bad. So that's why I wanted to work on a um, instrument with no frets. Mm -hmm. So I said mm -hmm. that that has to improve my intonation. Your, your intonation was good though. Well, that's what you. I noticed. Thank you. As a musician, that's the hardest thing that you is to play is when someone doesn't have good pitch. But you had good pitch. Yeah. Well, and, you, and I both have a clear memory of when his intonation kicked in. <laughs> Is that about, true? Yeah, it was about 15 years. Yeah. Ah. Uh, it was hard. No, sounds uh, good now. Uh, good, thank you. So when you say, because uh, I, I learned this from people I know who know two or three languages, that people use the word fluent and it means entirely different things to different people. Yeah. Can you say uh, Brussels sprouts and shoehorn in Chinese? No. 
And I don't claim to be fluent. I didn't say you were. Yeah. Just, just, but but I, I've taken, like, I, I can imagine you, based on what I know about you, that you're probably wanting to be perfect and work really hard to get to the point where you can really speak, you know, at a very high level. I'd like to, yeah. Yeah. For me, I took the approach that I want to know enough to be dangerous mm -hmm. and enough that I can read. I want to be able to read a book, know what I'm talking about, maybe not all the details, but most of it. And I want to be able to communicate with people because I work in a lot of places. I've worked a lot in China, Korea, and Russia, and nobody speaks English. So you've got to find a way to communicate. And for me, it was that level and of fluency that I wanted. Dance didn't work for you? Well, I'm not a good dancer. I'm a dangerous dancer. <laughs> they made me take ballet in, in college, which was torture. But our tuba teacher made us do it. So, <laughs> yeah, oh my gosh. I'll tell you, tuba playing ballet dancers, that's what you want to see. Absolutely. <laughs> now, uh, I, we've got <laughs> two, to get two, to two tubas. <laughs> two, two tubas. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There, there's the name. <laughs> um, I have to make any of these sentences make sense. And okay. So you ended up. So how was your? How I keep thinking of what's that movie? Is it Failsafe? Where uh, he says, "Well, Buck, how's your Russian?" <laughs> when he's going to send them, they're trying to avoid nuclear attack. Right. Well, Buck, how's your Russian? So, um, uh, well, Joe, how's your Korean? I mean, your Korean's pretty good. Um, it's it's good enough that like when when I would go with Rodman to I, I want to okay. I want to first know how good your Korean was and we're going to talk about Rodman. Okay, so there's there's a, there's a big difference between North Korean and South Korean. Mm -hmm. So I I learned South Korean in terms school. of government too. Yeah, well, obviously. Yeah, 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 yeah. And government's always the problem, right? <laughs> but um but the thing is that um they're very different. So in North Korea, there's not much. Everybody's talked to you the same. And in South Korea, the first question someone asks you is, how old are you? How much money do you make? And what's your job? And are you married? So they know how to talk to you. Because the honorific system is oh, so intense. And they don't have that in North Korea. So it's a lot easier. they don't have way. anything. Well, there's just there's uh, Kim Jong-un and then there's right. everybody else. Um, and everybody else doesn't have anything. So. That's right. That's right. Well, they, they, what they have, they all have like the same amount of nothing. Yeah. You know? It's like like one of my friends in the Soviet Union said she was a Korean from Uzbekistan and um, she told me once she said you know during Soviet times we all thought we were all happy because we didn't know we didn't have anything. Well, there's a lot you know you, you're you're aware there's a zillion studies that say that um, what matters in in happiness is the is the status among your peers and, and also your relationships. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, uh, it's that whole idea of. I mean, when you think about it, when they talk about the inequality mm -hmm. of money in the country, that does not matter at all, logically. Right. If you have enough, mm -hmm. what do you care if someone has $100 billion? Mm -hmm. And that's what they say. Oh, there's these people that have more than $20 billion. What do we care if we have a TV that works, you know, or whatever mm -hmm. our level is? But that's a confusing thing. The honorific system in Korea and in South Korea is quite complex because you have to, based on age, profession, family, all these other factors, you have to use different words to lower yourself or to raise the person you're speaking to. And therefore, it's quite complicated. In North Korea, they don't have that. It's basically everybody's the same except for Kim Jong-un. One thing is that Kim Jong-un used honorifics to speak to me, which I've never heard in North Korea, but because it was a professor and older, he used it properly. So I was quite impressed by wow. that. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So you got something better there. <laughs> so you already knew Korean. Yeah. But I mean, uh, I, I don't mean any disrespect sure, sure. whatsoever, but I know a little bit. Okay. Real-time translation 
in a foreign language is wicked fucking hard because you don't have control. I'll give you a little hint about doing interviews. Wherever you're doing interviews, all you got to do is make sure you control every subject that comes up Mm -hmm. and you can talk comfortably. Mm -hmm. And that's in your native language, but also in a second language. Mm -hmm. So you'll notice when I'm being interviewed in these long interviews, Mm -hmm. I can steer away from sports really quickly. Mm -hmm. But when you are doing real-time translation, Mm -hmm. you have no way to steer the conversation in, into anything. So when all I'm asking is, when Dennis Rodman is going to go to North Korea, it seems like even though he's a clown, aren't you going to want the best fucking translator you can get? Well, the thing is that Dennis didn't even know how to go back. So when I met Dennis, he'd already been to North Korea once. And he wanted to go back, and they had no idea how. I said, I went to a travel agent, and they didn't know what to do. So I said, well, I, I go in there to teach, so I'll help you. So you met him during this charity auction basketball. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. didn't play basketball. Yeah, we did. We oh. shot. No, it was me and him alone in a basketball court. And I, I, I haven't shot, shot a basketball since I was like 15, you know. So it was pretty funny. I mean, his agent, when we were in North Korea, actually, we, we took a team of NBA players to North Korea at one point. And his agent said, well, this guy here, he's probably the worst basketball player I've ever seen in my life. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I was proud of that. You know, because, by the way, that day when um, – Dennis and I played baskets. Um, we there was a, um, a journalist from Sports Illustrated following Dennis around. So Sports Illustrated wrote about my basketball playing. They said between Dennis Rodman and Dr. Twilliger, they threw up enough bricks, 153 in five minutes, to qualify for membership in the Masons Union. So I was like, yeah, <laughs> eat that, everyone. I now, went to uh, high school now, with that when Matt, I sucked at sports. Uh, Matt Donnelly, what does throw up bricks mean, please? Uh, it means like you're trying to shoot at a hoop and it hits the backboard so hard and doesn't go anywhere near the, the hoops. It's a brick. Basically, we missed every time. <laughs> uh, and you have a conversation with him. Yeah, and with his agents who were there. And he, and you knew when you walked in that he had gone to North Korea. Yeah, that's why I... That's why I, I put in the money for the charity auction. It ended up costing me something like $2,500. And... I thought I, I told all my friends, I said, oh, I'm going to meet Dennis Rob and I'll convince him to take me to North Korea to Kim Jong-un's mansion. And everyone laughed at me. And I was like, I'm sorry, but there's the most powerful sentence in English language is I can. And you just have to believe in it and do it. And so I did it. I went and I talked to them. And it was clear that they needed my assistance. And I knew the ambassador but from North Korea. But you were not going to be there as a simultaneous translator in Korea. And I wasn't. Okay, I, good. But, I, because cause, cause that's impossible. What I was there for was, see, I, I have a skill Because if you look at you, yeah. it says on the, online, yeah. translator for Dennis Rodman. Yeah, and that's how... What, 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 what it is is that a lot of the North Koreans speak very good English, and they, they had professional translators who studied in Guyana or other places, but they don't speak Rodman. Ah, now everything is clear. <laughs> you know what I mean. I translator. I know precisely what you mean. <laughs> yes, of course. And I should have been able to work that out. All the information was there. Yeah. Oh, yes, of course. So, like, for example, like at one point, Rodman gave a toast with the whole government at the table, all of Kim's family's brother, sister, kids, wife. And uh, they want Dennis to give the toast. So he says, your father and your grandfather did a lot of fucked up shit, <laughs> but you're trying to change all that. That's why I love you. And the translator just looks at me and goes, I'm sorry, I don't understand. I knew he understood, but he's like, you, you do that one. <laughs> so I translated it, you know, said, 
during the time of the dear leader and the time of the great leader, America's relations with North Korea were bad and you're trying to change it. And that's why I love you. <laughs> so that's diplomacy. <laughs> wow. No. Like that's crazy. You're actually in a position there to do something very important. And you can change the conversation despite what you said a few minutes ago. Not if you are the Honest. simultaneous translator. Right, right. Not right. if you're at the UN, you can't. Right. No, 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 no. But you can in that context. <laughs> and mostly what I would do and, otherwise is correct and, them when they misunderstood. And change the world. That's right. In that one translation, you 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 might not have changed anything, but had you gone another way, you might have. Yeah. Well, I think I think that they genuinely have a, a real relationship, Dennis and Kim. They get each other. I, 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 yeah, yeah. I think Dennis could have said or done anything he wanted and nothing would have happened. I mean, he goes to a formal bank. <laughs> he goes to a formal banquet there with no shirt on but a vest. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Too bad people can't see that look on your face. <laughs> now, now, Matt Donnelly. Yeah. I mean, I guess we gotta, we've got to address this uh, yeah. rather seriously before we back up. And I'm gonna. I mean, you'll correct every part of this I'm saying, but you are there. Um, Breaking bread, I assume literally, yep. with a person who is very bad, a very bad person. What are you feeling? What's going on? Well, it was interesting. Like we were there, it was 2013, and he'd uh, been in charge for maybe three years at the time. And one thing he kept saying to us was, these old guys won't let me do anything. These old guys won't let me do anything. And, you know, so the system isn't a kind of system that I would ever want to be part of. I'm a libertarian. It's like the exact opposite of libertarian, which, of course, is what, in a way, made me interested. Because sure. it's like I'm a mathematician as well. And in math, you always say, well, what if I'm wrong? And I'm always asking myself constantly, what if I'm wrong? If you don't so, ask that more yeah. than when you're right, that's right. you're not a scientist. That's right. And if you're not happier when you're wrong than when you're right, you're not a scientist. Because you've learned something. That's right. Exactly. And so for me, I always took like the Captain Kirk approach, which is you get in Star Girdle? Trek. Huh? Girdle. Girdle? Wearing a girdle? Oh, well, that I wish. I, I didn't think <laughs> about that, you know. But I was sort of like you go there and you, you try to observe and try to learn rather than trying to interfere because we have enough people doing that. So we didn't really mm -hmm. talk about those kind of difficult issues. Well, we talked about nuclear stuff. And he, whoa, 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 whoa. You don't just throw that out. We, we talked about nuclear stuff. Well, you were like, asking about- We talked about how stone was pronounced. Well, we did both, <laughs> right away, you know. No, but I mean, we, I, we asked him, we said, so, so, Robin goes, so what's up with the nukes? And he gave an answer that he said, basically, Gaddafi gave up his weapons of mass destruction and then you, in exchange for security guarantees, and then you killed Gaddafi. Saddam Hussein let weapons oh, inspectors. Hard to argue with that. Exactly. And Saddam Hussein <laughs> let weapons inspectors in his country. They didn't find anything, but you didn't believe them. And so then you killed Saddam Hussein. He said, but Pakistan harbored your number one enemy, and you didn't overthrow the regime of Pakistan. What's the difference? And then he said, you know, both the Obama regime and the Bush before it and Trump as well refused to take first use of nuclear weapons off the table in the event of a war with North Korea. And he's like, okay, and you all constantly say you want our regime changed. He goes, well, I'm not stupid. 
And I was like, you got me. I got but you're I a little no fat. argument. Did you say that? I'm sorry? Did you say, but you're a little fat? <laughs> I think he's very, he wasn't as fat then, by the way. <laughs> Between the first time we met him in uh, September 2013 and then again in January 2014, he put on like 40 pounds. Well, this is the most douchebag question you could ever ask because okay. uh, your only answer could be, look in the mirror and say that monkey face. That's the only answer possible. <laughs> but when you are over there yeah. with the great riches of the palace mm -hmm. and the people living in squalor, mm -hmm. what's the feeling? And of course, your answer, look in the mirror and say that monkey face because I am living exactly that. I, I'm aware that there are people not only in other countries but in this country that are living horribly. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting here. I'm going to start stop and get a latte on the way back. You know? Sure. But is it more pronounced there? No, not really, because I mean, the, the where where we stayed, we were at his house. It was it, it had he had we were at his house. Did you hear that? We were at his hear that, Matt. House. We were at his house for yeah. for like a, a few days, for almost a week. Staying at the supreme dictator's house. Yeah. He didn't say he didn't say palace. He didn't say mansion. He said house. Yeah, it, well, it was it's like their family compound, whatever. Uh, and we had very normal like guest house building where we stayed, but. The thing is that it's not the physical luxury, it was the treatment, the way they treated us. Like, for example, one night, everybody was drinking too much. We get back to the hotel and like, Dennis's bodyguard starts coming into my room and goes, okay, to William, what the fuck did you do with my clothes? I can't find my clothes anywhere. I know you did this. And I was like, uh, uh, did you look in your closet? He goes, I didn't hang them up. I go, they did. <laughs> and they were all hung up in the closet and everything. And Dennis at one point threw all his clothes down the stairs just for the hell of it. He goes, when I come back, my, my suitcase is going to be packed better. <laughs> and it was. Well, you, there's that great part of the Obama book where he talks about one of his, uh, one of his assistants. Days, yeah, yeah. Yeah, who, uh, who was a basketball guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Obama implies very strongly is well hung. <laughs> and he said they knew there were, there were cameras mm. in their rooms all the time. Yeah. So he walked around naked every second. <laughs> he said, just to show American dominance. Right. <laughs> and, and, and Rodman, similar. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Having been to the steam room with him more times than I can count. <laughs> now, Rodman also likes to wear dresses and paint his nails and stuff. Did he do that there? No, no, no. But he painted his nails there. He, he even asked them to get him someone to do it, you know, because he didn't remember to do it beforehand. I mean, Dennis is just being his, being Dennis, you know, he does yeah, something. So, so, he, and I keep telling everyone, I said, they're all like, well, why would you send him to North Korea? I said, guys, he's the most American person there ever was. He just does what he wants. He dresses the way he wants. It's like, if you don't, I mean, that's, that's America, baby. And you like him. He's like a family at this point. We've been through so much shit together because we've taken, we've been to North Korea three times together, four times together. We've been to Guam and we've been to other places. When you fly to North Korea, how yeah. do you fly? Is it is it a, is it a, a military transporter? Uh, no, we well, we fly to Beijing, just you know, on regular airlines, uh -huh. and uh, then they have the North Korean airline flies us from Beijing to North. Well, that's Korea. not a, a public North Korea. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's it's commercial airline. So Air Korea. People are flying in and out of North Korea. Uh, normally, not now because of COVID. Mm -hmm. So there, the if you ever want proof that lockdown works, North Korea shut down in December 2019 because they they shut down for every contagious thing from bird flu to Ebola to everything, and they they're still closed. Like the ambassador in New York still can't go home. You know he hasn't been home in all these years because it's locked down hard. And as a result, North Korea didn't get COVID until like 
April of 2022. And by which point it was already sufficiently weakened that it wasn't a big deal. So that proves it works, but only when it's complete lockdown. Mm -hmm. You know, this is a genetics person talking. It works, meaning the actual just pure yeah. scientific idea yeah. of spread. Yeah, meaning that if it if you can't if nobody can come in, he didn't say no it was good. I didn't say it was good. Yeah, yeah. I said it works. It's and not how, humane. What did, what do you what do you eat in the house of uh, of uh, whatever we can, want? So one, you like this story though. One time, Dennis said he wanted to try dog. You know, and I've, I've had that many times in Korea, both North and South. But he never had it. So he gets the best dog chef in North Korea, and he brings us every, now, you every mean part a, of the dog. Do you mean a chef that cooks dog? A chef that cooks dog. Not a chef that is a dog. No, no, no. Chef that cooks dog. Um, Hello? So they bring us all these weird things. And at one point, they bring this one thing out that's steamed in aluminum foil. We're like, what the hell is that? And I didn't know. So the translator just turns to us and goes, that's dog dick. <laughs> so we ate that. And Dennis goes to me and goes, you know what? From today on, you can tell everybody, every, every, every time you tell the story, just say, the only time in your life you ever had dig in your mouth, so did Dennis Rodman. I'm like, <laughs> like I'll only tell it with the backstory. <laughs> tell it? No, you got to leave the backstory out. Leave the backstory yeah, out. Yeah, hey, why not? You know, I don't give a shit. But I mean, if you said to them, uh, we'd like a Big Mac and some fries, they lay that on you? Well, Dennis's uh, assistant, his, 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 um, his bodyguard or agent, uh, he wanted Diet Coke, and they didn't have any. So the next day, Diet Coke was everywhere because they got it in from China. And he says, well, he was joking around. He says, well, actually, I prefer Coke Zero. The next day, it was Coke Zero everywhere. <laughs> yeah, it's like just being a dictator is a yeah. good thing. Now, um, I, <laughs> you're throwing that away and then moving on. I don't yeah, know if yeah. you want that clip to say <laughs> If you want to get things for your creature yeah. comforts, it's a good thing. Yes. I mean, but I, was, I had this so much in my head. I was talking. The exact to, quote is, "It's good to be the king." Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> I was talking to uh, Amy, who's Anne's daughter. Sure, I know Amy. Who's my who's my uh, who's my Spanish tutor, and she said that you were going to be on the show today. She was very excited, and she said, and maybe she said maybe you couldn't tell the truth about this, <laughs> but you have Kim Jong Il on WhatsApp, and you text with them. Well, Kim Jong Il's dead. Oh uh, yeah, uh, <laughs> Kim Jong Un. No, I, I haven't. I don't have that, but there is uh, surprisingly a lot of. Uh, it's possible to reach them by internet in other ways. But I mean, if I want to communicate with them, and I communicate with them on Dennis's behalf, um, they have an embassy at the UN, so I go with meet with the ambassador. Did you have any relation with the dictator himself? Sure. I mean, we we spent like a few days at his no, house. He speaks very good English. He right? speaks no English. I thought those guys were all like educated at Oxford or something. Well, I mean, all I can tell you is that he just had a blank stare when anyone spoke English. He only spoke in Korean. The only time he laughed was one time uh, Rodman said, fuck Obama, <laughs> and he cracked up. So he understood that. But I don't think he understood much else i mean he loves american culture he actually asked us about like sylvester stallone and you know, eric clapton um you know different things like his brother speaks good english and he was the one who's especially a fan of eric clapton what does dennis rot <laughs> i know it's 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 unusual how how does this happen well kim jong-un's a bulls fan uh -huh. chicago bulls basketball <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um and uh, apparently 
they tried to get Michael Jordan or Scottie Pippen to go over, and they weren't interested. And they went to Rodman. They said, "You want to go?" And he's like, "Yeah, sure. Why not?" Because he wanted to meet someone on that team. Well, no, yeah, he wanted to meet someone on that team. Now, the interesting, funny part, and it's uh, Rodman's agent wrote a book about his troubles with uh, um, opiate addiction, and in the book, he describes the story how. When they came to him about doing something in North Korea, he's like, yeah, cool, K-pop, you know, Gangnam style. He didn't know there were two Koreas, mm -hmm. and neither did Rodman. So at one point, Rodman asked Kim Jong-un if he could meet Sai, the guy who does Gangnam style. And Kim Jong-un just responded, well, I can't help you with that, but I'd like to meet him too. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But Kim has a good sense of humor, and that's how I, I understood that he's an intelligent thoughtful person because every time Dennis would say something ridiculous, he had a one-liner comeback immediately that was on point. And that's a good way to judge, you know, someone's We gotta practice. we gotta talk. We gotta talk genetics. We got so much more. This is just so perplexing. But for right now, for one show, that was Ben Sunday School. That was Ben Sunday School. Cha cha cha. And to our You become naked. Now, is North Korean and South Korean two different languages? It's the same language, but they're much more different than British and American English. Because any word for something that evolved in the last 50 years is... Oh, wow. Right, right, right. Not from English. <laughs> You know we love you. Hey, Matt, you got to thank? Yes. Good. The following people support us over at patreon.com slash pen. And gosh, I'm grateful for it. Adam Luce is happy to hear Penn's ear is on the mend. I thought this was OnlyFans. Timo Tihoff, Mark Pickenheim, Mayor Rob Ford, Jason DeFilippo, Miriam Engels, Scott Kelly, Kirk Barrett, Kelly M., Adam Berzins, Klebe, Matthew Applehands, Fractured Adventures, Carlos Alvarez, Nicholas Emerson, Michael Cornwall, Rob Alligar, Ross Devereaux, Tony McElroy, Rue Dudley, Ryan Matthews, Jeff Bacher, Impossibilities Magic Show in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, Michael Torbay, Elon Lee, Jacob McCulley, Kelsey Johnson, Nicole Martin, Matthew Rausch, Crazy Cat Lady Scoop, Music Man, No Thank You Daddy, and Rachel Hawkins. Thank you so much. Thank you. Spin your passion into a business with Shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout. Let's hear that one more time. The world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com slash records.